It's time to sit back and relax with your favorite drink. And listen. Day one. Today was the day. I set off in the early morning. Dave, Viola and old Carl saw me off, as well as most of the children. The kids were surprised that I was leaving. I don't know how they didn't feel the atmosphere of departure. I was almost eager to leave for at least a week now. But still, it hurt to leave. I don't know if I'm ever going to see anybody from the camp ever again. Especially if the reports from St. Colin were true. It was uneasy and, quite frankly, afraid I might have felt. The view was gorgeous. The sun rising out of the sea in the east, reflecting in the nera. Helene's skyline in the south. No matter how this journey ends, nostalgia will probably make this place the most beautiful one in the whole world. I reached the bottom of the mountain somewhere around early noon. I turned north and, after another hour or two of hiking, I found the highway. Well, if the 21 counts as a highway, that is. It does, right? Well, it did, if anything. Followed it for the rest of the day and found a somewhat covered ditch near the roadbed in the early dusk. Although certainly not the most comfortable place to rest, it seemed to be at least somewhat protected from wind and rain. Good enough for me. Day two. The night was quiet. The day two, thinking back. I am aware that the camp, by design, is rather loud, but this absolute silence... I wasn't that big of an outdoorsman before, so I wouldn't know, but it just seems odd. Too quiet, if I'm allowed this cliché. I continued to trek along the 21 for most of the day. I must say, it was boring. Turns out travelling on highways is always a drag, regardless if a car is involved or not. But I made use of the free time and practiced navigating. Well, estimating my current position to be more exact. If, that's a big if, my navigation attempts were correct, I should hit the intersection with the 22 and 24 the day after tomorrow. The weather was deteriorating over the course of the afternoon, but luckily I found a wreck that wasn't completely wrecked. God, how many years has it been since I sat in a driver's seat? Day 3 the night in the car wreck was actually quite comfortable. As rusty and mouldy as it may have been, it was soft. More importantly, it kept the rain away. I don't know when it started pouring or when it ended, but this morning everything was soaked. I'm glad I'm supposed to stay on the road anyway. Everything not asphalt was literally a swamp for most of the day. But that has its good size too, since I spotted and shot a partridge in the late morning. Retrieving it out of the mud was a bit of a problem, but I managed. I think it will top off my food supplies for at least two days. It seems my navigation attempts from yesterday were not completely wrong. When the sun began to sink, I could make out the 22 branching off in the distance. Sadly, I didn't get so lucky with my campsite today. No cars, no trees, not even a good ditch to sleep in. The road bed will have to do but my back will hurt tomorrow. Not 
Looking forward to that. Day 4. I broke off camp in the morning when my radio actually received something. Turns out, it was a message from the camp. They were letting me know that they'd fixed the well and it was clean enough to drink out of again. Lots of well wishes. It was great, hearing that your loved ones are doing good. Thinking back on it, I'm surprised I could even pick up the signal that far north. I didn't expect the transmitter at camp to work at all, and definitely not to send through the mountains. Anyway, pleasant surprises are always welcome. Across the 22, around noon, and by evening I could see the sea on the horizon again. And Mondand, of course. I'm currently debating with myself if I should search through the outskirts of the city. I'm sure I'll find something, but it would cost me a day at least. Well, that's a decision I'll have to make tomorrow morning. Future George, you're welcome. Day 5 I decided to plunder Mondend's suburbs. I turned southeast as soon as I set out and reached the first houses at maybe ten. I found quite a lot of useful things. More batteries, several bottles of water, twenty rounds for my rifle, several cans of food, a first aid kit that didn't look too bad, and two cartridges for my camping burner. A good haul, all in all. Plus... Resupplying my water reserves would have become a pressing matter in a day or two anyway. See, I'm thinking ahead here. The best thing that did come out of this little detour, I get to sleep in a proper bed tonight. Granted, it is moth-ridden and a bit rotten, but whatever. At least it isn't mouldy or have any bugs in it. Days five and six. I think they're gone now. I woke up in the middle of the night and heard footsteps, but not human ones. Well, not quite. It sounded like whatever it was was wearing shoes or boots, but it didn't sound human. I, I can't put my finger on what makes me so sure about that. Maybe the rhythm? I can't really say. As soon as I awoke and realized why it wasn't morning already, I silently grabbed my rifle crawled into a corner and waited, completely silent. My nightly guest was slowly walking through the ground floor of the house, maybe searching for something. Yes, guests, as in plural. I'm sure there were at least two, but maybe even three or four. I don't know what they were searching for. Probably just searching for loot like I was earlier in the day. I guess they found what they were looking for, since they left rather abruptly tried to see what they were through the nearest window, but in trying to stay silent, it was too slow to get a good look at them. Day 6 I have no idea what visited me last night. I lay awake until morning, not hearing anything suspicious. I also didn't see anything when I moved out. I kept looking back over my shoulder every few minutes, but never actually saw anything. I was on the highway again soon enough, which eased my nervousness of the last hours, but the glances back continued until the late afternoon. Nothing of note happened today as well, but I can make out the edge of Lake Daring and the woods surrounding it from my sleeping spot. That's only because my sleeping spot tonight happens to be a tower. 
I actually don't know what kind of tower it is. It's just a room on stilts, three stories up in the middle of nowhere. I'm looking forward to entering the forest in the following days. They won't slow me down as long as I stay on the road, and the endless marches around me are getting boring these days. The weather's getting bad again, so it'll probably rain tonight. Day 7 I made good headway today, since this part of the 25 is mostly downhill. Granted, it's only by maybe 5 degrees or so, but apparently it's enough for a smart and neutral to roll down. I noticed the car because it seemed nearly undamaged by all this time out in the open. Of course, it didn't have any gas in it, but I figured I'd try to soapbox it, and lo and behold, it worked. I think I made at least two days' worth of distance today. I even got to do a bit of hunting and gathering when my new car ran out of momentum, so my supplies are stocked up once again. It's been a week now since I last saw anybody. I hope the guys back at camp are okay, or at least alive. Funny how time flows when you're alone for a long time. If anybody would ask me right now how long I'd been away, well, I'd probably be startled as hell and punched them. But I'd probably guess the time way too high. Strange, actually, since things that actually form memories only happen maybe ten times a day, so... Judging by that, away for what, two, three days? Whatever, it has been a week, period. Day 8 I arrived at the highway bridge over the cell today. It was completely wrecked. Only the bridgeheads remained. No way this is going to be repaired, ever. And crossing the cell without a boat any time other than deep winter... No, thank you. So, I guess I have to head west. And if all the bridges in Polk could destroy too, go around the law, I guess, or hike over it. I'll cross that bridge when I get there. Or not cross it, probably. I'll have to go through the forest for the next few days. I'm not worried about losing my way. I'm pretty confident in my navigation skills by now. But going through the woods is both going to slow me down and make me more prone towards ambushes. I guess I could fight off two, maybe three chasers if I hear them coming. But a thrasher? No chance. I doubt I even have enough bullets for that if it stands still. Day 9 I made about two-thirds of the distance I could on the road. So, well, I guess I'm doing good, plus... I'm stumbling on brooklets every few hours. Most of them clean enough to drink, so water's not going to be a problem in the foreseeable future. In the early evening, I even shot a small deer. That's going to feed me for at least half a week, probably more. But skinning and roasting it will take a good part of tomorrow, and the extra weight is going to slow me down even further. Day 10 I found the radio station. The one that used to send K-11. It was in working order, too. How it survived, let alone remain charged until now, I'll never know. But it does, and that's great. I managed to send a broadcast, and I'm pretty sure the camp can pick it up. I mean, this station could send to the furthest edges of the Kazan Mountains, so down to Halein, the most, will be easy. I don't know when the others will head out, but I don't think they have yet. 
or if they have, they couldn't have come far, so I warned them about the destroyed bridge. I also told them where to find the station, if they needed to answer me. Actually, I'm just going to write down my transmission. Who's going to stop me? Hey guys, it's me, George. I'm at the old K-11 station right now. Do not take the 24 and 25. The sour bridge is down. Go over Trakes instead. If you need to reach me, the station is... Oh, if you draw a line straight through Daring, another through the last part of Cell, I'm where they'd hit. I'll continue to scout ahead. Meet me at the westmost highway entry of Cayman. I'll be waiting there. Good luck to you all. I really hope Trakes is safe. There could be God knows what lurking around there. But the whole group wouldn't make the trip through the forest. I'll just have to hope and pray. Day 11 I arrived at the outskirts of Polk today. Saw a lot of birds and even a hare or two, so at least I know there are no thrashes around. That's at least something. I'm not really familiar with the geography of Polk. I was here only once before, and that was in my college years. God, must have been 15 years now. But I remember there are seven bridges over the cell. Maybe they even built more in the time being. At least one of them has to be intact. I'm making camp in an apartment building in the outskirts tonight. Tomorrow, I'll follow the 31 through the city. If I'm lucky, the highway bridge still stands. Day 12. The highway bridge does not stand anymore. In fact, all the bridges in the eastern half of Polk are destroyed. I'm camping in an office building, and I can see one a bit to the west that seems, well, not undamaged, but passable. I'll try to cross tomorrow. I saw humans today, too. When I was walking down the waterfronts, I saw them two blocks ahead. At first, I wanted to make contact, but they carried an awful lot of weapons. Too many for simple self-protection, and there are too many animals around them to be hunting a thrasher. And so, I chose to remain hidden. Unfortunately, I had to wait most of the day for them to leave. I didn't want to risk an encounter with possible raiders. Living slow is bad nowadays, but not living at all is worse. Day 13. I crossed the cell today. The bridge I'd spotted yesterday evening was passable. Even more than just passable. It may have looked pretty banged up at first, but I think it'll stand at least a decade if no storms or earthquakes hit. It's a make good distance on the road. I think I'll reach Cayman the day after tomorrow. And I'm sure I'll find somebody there. I mean, it's Cayman, for crying out loud. If there are any people anywhere, they're there. I just hope they'll take us in. Day 40. I'm an hour or two away from the outskirts of Cayman. I can already see the big three from here. I wish I could have visited them once. Go up on the roof, I mean. The view must have been incredible. I don't see any signs of human habitation in the area I can see. But... That doesn't have to mean anything. I can see maybe 5% of the city, and that's a high guess. I don't think I'll be having any trouble with my supplies, and 
even if the others back at camp left as soon as I sent them the instructions to go west instead of east, well, they won't arrive for at least four more days, even with them taking a significantly shorter route. So, I think I have some time to find somebody. Day 15 I entered Cayman today and searched for, well, someone. I didn't find anybody, but I found makeshift barricades at the ground floors of a few houses, some of them looking no older than a week. I'm confident that I'll find the residents, or at least their traces, if they've left. The bad news is, I heard a chaser howl in the afternoon. It didn't sound like it was near me. I'd guess at least three blocks away. Still, one chaser means most likely a handful of chasers, and that means trouble. The barricades don't seem compromised, but maybe the residents left because of the threat of a breach. Anyway, I looted a gun store an hour ago. Surprisingly, it wasn't cleared out. Yeah, some stuff was taken, but not everything. My guess is that a few people came by to stock up on ammo and take their favorite weapons, but a lot was left behind. That'll help me and the others a big deal. I've already stocked up on ammo for my rifle, and pocketed a nice-looking revolver, and some rounds for it, too. If I find a trolley or something, I'll take a nice stash with me when I head out to wait for the others. Day 16 I continued to search the city. I didn't find anybody, but I think I may have heard a conversation. I'm not sure, and I didn't see anything, but I'll not give up on finding someone. Supply-wise, the situation is mixed. I think I can keep going for at least a week with what I have on me right now. But finding clean water in the city is going to be difficult. Food, on the other hand, is pretty much everywhere. I didn't even really try, and I found enough to last me until the year's end just today. Here I was, worrying that the caravan would starve if we had to continue further north than Cayman. I found graffiti on a wall in Salon Square. I can't tell how old it is, but it is pretty clean, so maybe a week? Two? It states that the subway is occupied with a big pack of chasers. Oh, I'm not sure if this information is accurate anymore, but I sure as hell won't go checking. Day 17 I found people today. They're a married couple named Gloria and Marvin. I stumbled upon them in a mall. They were searching for water, and so was I. They were really friendly, and still are. They, apparently, are part of a larger group of around 500 people that used to live in southern Cayman. But when they heard from St. Colin, they too decided to move. But, in contrast to us, they were ready to go on pretty much a moment's notice. They sent out scouts north and west to search for a new suitable home base, and apparently... They found a pretty promising location. They decided to move to Blester, a small mining town to the west. It's way into the Boral Woods, way back at the foot of the Kazan Mountains. This place is so out of the way that they're confident they'll be relatively safe there. Plus, if push comes to shove, they'll be able to flee into the mountains, maybe even enter Urien. I doubt they'll have trouble at the border. The only reason that Gloria and Marvin remained is to intercept and redirect returning scouts. Leave no man behind, I guess. It's good to know camaraderie and reliable friends have survived until now. 
They invited me to join them. When I explained that I'm kind of a scout myself, they extended the invitation to the whole camp. The more the merrier, they said, and Blester and the surrounding area would be easily capable of supporting the additional hundred or so people. The hard work is done. Now I just have to wait for my people to arrive. Marv even said they'd wait with me. Day 18 We continued searching for supplies, and even found two returning scouts. They came from the northeast, Timin to be exact. They came back pretty empty-handed and crushed, but lightened up immediately when they learned of Blester, and even more, when they heard of the new faces they could expect. According to Gloria, they were the last scouts, but they insisted on waiting with me. But the scouts were sent ahead, mostly to inform their group of the good news. It took quite the convincing for them to go on ahead, but we managed to. Warning of an additional hundred mouths to feed was more important than being courteous. We saw them off from the 32, where I was supposed to meet my folks sometime soon anyway. We actually found a shopping cart during the day and managed to ferry a good amount of food and weapons to the rally point, so we could wait for a while. And the additional weapons would only help in the long-term defense of Blaster. Day 19. The others arrived today. They came in in the early afternoon, pretty exhausted but otherwise okay. I was overjoyed to see them again, and Dave came up to greet me as soon as I gave away my presence. I introduced Gloria and Marv shortly to him, old Carl and a few others, as well as our plan to head for Blester. They were mostly for it. Of course, some voiced their distrust, but we managed to calm them for now told them the story of my journey, and asked for theirs. At this point, I hadn't even realized that Viola, Emmett, and Alex were missing. The group followed my instructions into Trakes, but the group was assaulted by a pack of chasers halfway between Trakes and Polk, at least twenty of them. The three decided to arm themselves and distract the pack to give the main group time to get away. They said they would catch up as soon as they'd shaken off or killed the pack, but they all knew they likely wouldn't come back. And they didn't. At least they didn't die to thrashers. Dave said he heard three shots, one directly after the other at the end, but I think he just wants to comfort me. It'd be nice to know they didn't have to suffer. I'll try to believe that they didn't. I'll be honest here. I didn't know Emmett or Alex, so I won't be missing them. But Viola, that hurts. Guess that's the price we have to pay to live another day. At least the kids are safe. Well, alive. I don't know where they would be truly safe. Hopefully, Blester, but who knows. Day 20. We set off towards the west in the early morning. All of us. I expected the full caravan to be rather slow, but I think we made the same distance I would have done alone, or at least not that much less. Morale was pretty low after losing three people in the chaser raid, but meeting up with me again and getting invited to an already somewhat established settlement by Gloria and Marv boosted it beyond what it was at the start, or so I'm told at least. One could even say we're optimistic. We, as in the group, I, for one, am really despairing. I do believe we can reach Blester, and we'll prosper there. 
But what for? I hadn't even realised how much I liked Viola before she died. Maybe I'm just over-experiencing due to the loss, but I think I may have been in love with her. To be fair, I was never any good at making others realise I liked them, or even realise it myself, but it's still enough to make me doubt the point in all of this. Day 21. We're past the halfway point. Supplies are slowly running low, but it will last four to five days at least, so easily until Blaster. The group as a whole is getting exhausted, but their enthusiasm keeps the speed up. I don't know anything about the geography of the Boral Woods, but Marv says we may be able to see the outskirts of Blaster by tomorrow evening. We cut the actual walking time a bit short today, both to go a bit easier on the old and weak ones, as well as to stock up a bit further. We made camp at a cave near the road and sent out multiple groups to get water, to gather edible plants and maybe even shoot some game. Dave and I got ourselves a stack. I don't know how successful the other groups were, so I have no idea how long our provisions are going to last now. But I don't think I'll need to check that. It won't matter until we get to Blester, and once we're there, we'll combine our stash with that of Gloria and Marv's group. The forests here are pretty dense, and mostly pines, so I don't think we'll have too much trouble with thrashes in the future. The few that will actually find us won't be able to move that much. They will still be a serious threat, but much more easy to deal with, especially if we can set up some robust tree houses and platforms to shoot from. I can't sleep. I have a feeling something bad's going to happen. Maybe a fire in the cave. We have three fire pits at the entry to prepare the food and process the stag and, and whatever else we may have caught. We'll make sure they're careful. The guys at the fires are pretty aware of the danger. No worries there on my side. I saw we got another deer, a female this time. A hare, a pheasant, and somebody managed to catch two fish. Salmon, I guess, but neither I nor any of the cooks know for sure. Whatever. I was never really a fish person anyway. Day 22. The caravan was slow today. One of the carts broke down. Nothing we couldn't fix, but it's taking us two hours already. Freddy's confident we'll be on the move within the hour, but until then I'll continue to not have to do anything. I wish I could help. At least it would keep my mind off Viola. Shortly after the wagon was fixed, a pack of chasers turned up. We saw them coming. So, we could prepare a bit. Dave, Freddy and I were the sacrifices this time. I have no problem giving my life for the group. But Dave, I'll try to get him out of this situation. The situation being us, stuck on a tree, with the pack under us. Freddy is, well, they got him. At least the caravan is safe. We pulled them a long way. I guess a bit more than two miles. Two and a half, maybe. We managed to thin out the pack a bit, but I still count at least 30 chasers. Between Dave and I, we have 41 bullets remaining. Meaning, if we make good shots, we could get back to the group. But I set aside two, just in case. Meaning, if we make good shots, we could get back to the group. But... 
I set to aside, just in case. I haven't asked Dave yet, and I hope I don't have to, but I don't want to die in the fangs of an abomination. A bullet is cleaner and faster. So, 39 shots, 30 targets. Let's make them count. Godspeed, Dave. Godspeed. George Trier. Day 22. So, 39 shots, 30 targets. Let's make them count. Godspeed, Dave. Godspeed. Well, maybe I should take up praying. Seriously, we actually made it. Kind of. It took us the better part of two hours and 38 of our shots, but we got all the chasers down to the ground. Ecstatic as we were, we immediately climbed down the tree to link up with the caravan again. Rookie mistake. One of the chasers had only played dead. Or maybe he really was in his death throes. Doesn't matter. Fact is, he bit Dave in the leg. Got a good bite in. In turn, he got our last bullet. Discounting our express tickets to the grade upstairs. The wound wasn't anything too serious. Given proper rest, it'd heal in a week or two. But, well, we were one and a half days worth of walking away from what remained of civilization. But given Dave's state, it'd be closer to three days. Three days without anything on us. No rations, no water, nothing. Well, I managed to bandage his wound with strips of our clothes, so he won't bleed out overnight. We made some headway in the remaining daylight, and are currently camped out in a semi-cave in the roots of a truly enormous pine. Let's see what the future brings. Day 23. We made some headway. I can't say it was a good or bad result. It's hard to judge the ideal speed of a wounded one. We stumbled over a clean brook, so water should be fine until we get to Blaster, but I didn't have time to forage for food. We agree not to waste our remaining ammo on wildlife. Some time without food is possible, after all. Day 24. We followed the 32 into Blester, but nobody was there. Not even bodies, in case Marv's and Gloria's group had betrayed us. Not that I seriously entertained that idea, but it would have been an explanation. Maybe the group's hiding in some buildings. I don't see why, but maybe. So I decided to fire one shot in the air. Probably a stupid decision, but we didn't have any better ideas. Given that it was early evening already and I was tired from half-dragging Dave the whole day, we quickly made camp. I chose the display area of a clothing store on the main street. It would shelter us, but wouldn't hide us from our companions if they'd be searching. And if they don't, well... We're dead, anyway. Day 25. I should really reconsider my atheism. A small search party found us overnight. There were some familiar faces, but also some of the new group. At first, I was startled when their noises woke me up. 
I nearly blasted them with my last shot, but luckily I recognized them before that. The bigger group decided not to make camp in Blester proper, but instead moved to the city's main mining camp, one hour's worth of walking to the northwest, and of course our group followed suit. Apparently some stragglers heard the shot, and our saviors were dispatched. They hauled us back to what we now call New Blester, and practically paraded us through the street. Dave was brought to the infirmary. Yes, they already have a proper infirmary, even with a somewhat sterile ER. We never got round to doing that in our old camp. Given that I was only starved, not actually injured, my medical treatment consisted of a visit to the mess hall. During and after my meal, I was brought up to speed by Stephen, one of my old guys. I guess I have to stop thinking like that. There no longer is they and we. Only a bigger we. Apparently the rationale behind using the mining camp instead of the city was the better defensive capability. New Blester is built relatively open compared to old Blester's dense housing. This, and the chimneys of the blast furnaces, makes an excellent observation platform. The other group apparently had a really detailed and effective government system, well, I guess compared to our almost tribal structure, and so we integrated ourselves into the better system. Now, there are several work groups, each committed to a single task, like farming, construction and maintenance, medics, and so on. Each work group has one or more heads, reporting to the council, which our old chieftain Carl has been made part of. I'm thinking of joining either the city guard, or, well, army if you will, or the scouts, over my journey, I've come to appreciate the great outdoors, so hunting and foraging are right up my alley now. On the matter of the city guard, they're not an army. I worded that badly. They're more like an army officer's corps with a flexed hierarchy. If we need them, they're allowed to recruit anyone they see fit into their ranks to bolster their numbers. Now, call me a cynic, but that's just the setup to a coup d'etat, isn't it? Day 26. Scouts, it is. My group leader is now a guy called Corbin, and my colleagues are Kevin, Marvin, not the one who invited us, another one, and Sarah. Given that we're only deployed when something is in dire need, usually food, we also help out where we can. For today, I'm still excused from work to regain my strength, but starting tomorrow, I'll join my scout group and help erecting a perimeter fence around New Blaster. They already have around 20 metres worth of fence standing. Since we're in an ore processing facility, we have the tools for at least primitive ironworking, so that's no problem. Only a lot of effort. Dave will be okay. His wounds are properly treated. His malnourishment has significantly delayed the healing process, but the medics think he will be up and running in three weeks tops, with no lasting damage. Of course, he is happy, but... Tanya was so overjoyed at his safe return and expected recovery, I thought she would burst. I didn't know they were a thing. Well, whatever. If they're happy, good for them. Day 27 I have officially joined the Corbin squad today. He hates that name, and that's why we use it. Jokes aside, Corbin is a great guy. Sort of a jolly, nice uncle vibe. Kevin and Marv are all right blokes, too. But Sarah, well, when I first saw her, I thought, Sarah, oh, 
like Sarah Connor, and that fits her perfectly. Tough one, but nice if you're one of her cubs. Not that she's the motherly type, <laughs> no, just that Kev Joe that she could wrestle a bear, and I for one believe that. The work on the fence was dull. Manual labour, following the instructions of one construction group head, assembling fence segments, setting them up, linking them with the existing fence, secure and repeat. Not bad work, just dull. But the construction head said they'd need more material to keep working at the pace that they were, and Corbin offered for us to scavenge in Old Blester for chain-link fences and other appropriate parts. During dinner, he presented the idea to the council and got the go-ahead. Tomorrow we should round up material on provisions to allow for a three-day expedition into Old Blester, dismantle anything useful, and transport it home. Plus, we'll get one of the construction guys to help us evaluate the quality and usefulness of our finds. Day 28 We set off at around ten today. Turns out, our construction guy is Tom, one of my old friends. Of course, we were armed for this expedition, and Marv instantly identified my rifle as a Garand. Neat, I guess. It was always only rifle for me. We arrived in the commercial part of Blester and started ripping off fences and corrugated iron plates like hungry vultures. By evening, we'd already filled two of our four carts with materials. The quality was good, according to Tom, and judging by our pace, we'll probably return with full pockets by tomorrow evening. Dinner was quite interesting today. While we were cooking at the campfire, Sarah sang something. She's originally from the Kazan Mountains, but more to the south, and these were old nursery rhymes and other childhood songs of hers. I didn't understand a word of it, but it was beautiful. Day 29 Our wagons were filled to the brim by early afternoon, so we returned to New Blester a good while before dinner. The fence was coming along well, although progress had slowed noticeably, likely because of the lack of material and the makeshift fields around the perimeter were beginning to show the first green. Now, I'm no farmer, but I asked one of the workers expanding the fields, and they claim the first potato harvest will be in two months. Seems a bit fast to me, but again, I'm no farmer. The construction head was delighted about that quick return, even more so when he saw what we'd brought. He agreed with Tom that our bounty was exactly what they need. Well, that's where he came with us in the first place, I guess. We unloaded our carts in a warehouse near the fence perimeter. Then Corbin gave us the day off. But tomorrow we, and that includes Tom, are to set out again, procuring more fence parts. Even though I was away for not even two days, the town has already changed. Well, that's to be expected. The original group has only been here for two weeks, so they're still settling in and appropriating the facilities to whatever they need. And then the influx of another hundred just five days ago. No matter what your work group is actually supposed to do, pretty much everybody is working in or for construction now. Day 30 Old Blaster has many treasures yet to be recovered. Like a hardware store. I don't know why plundering it wasn't the first thing we did when searching for building materials, but whatever. We're stocked up to cart capacity already, and we'll return first thing in the morning. I know these are expeditions into what is technically no man's land, but it still feels like, well, going down to the hardware store. 
day 31. We returned on time for the lunch break and were promptly reintegrated into the construction group. The fence is about doubled in length since we first set out, and apparently they're also working on a similarly sized segment on the opposite side of town, but still, we got a long ways to go. The more experienced workers have also begun to work on a proper gate. Apparently, we'll get three, one for each cardinal direction, discounting west, and we won't need to go into the mountains that often. Day 32 the day began as another construction shift, but we weren't even in proper working rhythm yet when a messenger came to get Corbin. Like our old camp, New Blester also had a town transceiver, and it's been up and working for some time now, and this morning it had picked up on something. Apparently, a group of Uranese refugees whose original camp had been overrun had fled east into the Gazan Range. They were followed by a chaser pack, presumably the one that had raided their camp. The refugees had entrenched themselves in the old Mount Mochen Observatory, but were now being sieged out by the chasers. The council had decided to help them, and were now asking for every scout leader if they felt capable of reaching and helping the Uranese, or at least recover anything useful they left behind, if the siege succeeded. Corbin thought us capable, so the rest of the day was spent readying up for the trek. We will go through the northern Boral woods as long as possible, to keep the actual mountain part as short as possible, only going west over Mount Trajan, and then up Mount Mochan. The journey would take four to five days, but first we had to cross the Tyre, immediately north of New Blester. There were plans to build a bridge over it, but that was only a good idea as of now. There was a ford over the Tyre, a bit east of here, but the current is strong there. We'll have to see tomorrow if we should risk crossing it. Day 33 We reached the ford by noon and crossed it easily. The lack of rain over the last few days seemed to have calmed it a little bit. Or maybe the strength of the current was exaggerated by the original scouts. Either way, after crossing we veered north through the woods. We're currently camping on a big rock in a clearing, and we can see Mount Trajan from here already. We're making good time so far. Day 34 Today was a really uneventful day. We reached the foot of Mount Trajan in the afternoon and are now about halfway up the mountainside. Our camp in a crease of the mountain face isn't really comfortable, but the nightly winds up here are worse. Day 35 We made good progress today. If we forced it, we could have arrived at the observatorium sometimes in the evening, but facing a chaser pack, one powerful enough to bring down a settlement nonetheless, while being tired out from a day's worth of hiking, in the dark, no thank you. We can see the very tip of the observatory's antenna array from our camp, and I guess we'll be there after an hour of walking. Corbin decided we would not break camp and leave our stuff here, the rationale being we'd have to return here anyway, and this way we wouldn't be weighed down unnecessarily. A valid strategy, but it makes me uncomfortable anyway. Day 36 Today was eventful. We broke camp in the early dawn, planning to arrive at the observatory with the sun to our backs. Well, we did. 
We stopped on the very tip of the last little hill before reaching the plateau the observatory stood on. The building itself was quite run down. One and a half decades in the mountain winds without maintenance will do that to you. We saw makeshift barricades in the ground and first floor doors and windows. None seemed breached, but we couldn't see the backside. But judging by the twenty-odd chasers lazing around the plateau, the siege wasn't over quite yet. We were just silently discussing how to handle this problem when Sarah just stiffened up and motioned us to be quiet. Of course, we obliged. And not ten seconds later, a chase across the hilltop directly in front of us, still unaware of us. It seemed drowsy. Well, as drowsy as a black, leathery monster dog can look. Chasers can't see too well. but will never know how it didn't smell us. It was just setting down one of its front paws when Sarah shot up, jamming her knife in its throat and wrestling it to the ground. It happened completely silently, discounting the little yelp that Chelsea made halfway to the ground. It maybe took two seconds in total. None of the other chasers seemed to notice, so we were fine for now. After the relieved sighs and admiring looks towards Sarah had subsided, we came up with a plan. I was a good runner, but weaponry-wise, the weakest of the bunch. The others would fall back a bit, setting up a nice firing zone. When they gave the go-ahead, I'd take a few shots at the pack, hopefully killing one or two, and then run through the firing zone, drawing the pack with me. Risky, but the best we could come up with. The few minutes of setup were the longest few in my entire life. I wasn't this nervous, even up in the tree. Then the go-ahead came in the form of a short whistle from Kev. I got into a comfortable firing position, slowly crossed the hill, taking care not to step on the first victim of today, and took aim. I searched for the meanest-looking one and found him near the observatory's entrance, as well as two smaller ones. These four shots were the loudest in my entire life, or it felt as much at least. I turned and ran without even looking if I'd hit anything. Later we'd see that I took down all three. I was maybe halfway through the firing zone when the pack crossed the hill, and my companions lit them up. All of them had automatic weapons, so it was quite the noise, but it did its job. The largest part of the pack had fallen victim to our trap, and the few stragglers or otherwise survivors were picked off easily. We expected the refugees to be wary of us, maybe taking some shots at us, but they quickly opened up, figuratively and literally. There were eleven people, four women, four men, and three children. They looked healthy, but their supplies were pretty much empty by now, so it took no great convincing for them to join New Blester. Historical differences be damned. But before returning, we turned the observatory inside out. Although we found some quite valuable things, most of them were too big to be easily transported or even demounted, so we left with only a handful of electronic parts and what little rations our new friends had remaining. We looped back over to our campsite and will spend the night on the very summit of Mount Trajan. Oh, I'm looking forward to the nightly view. Day 37 The view was amazing both at night as well as in the early morning. The day itself was quite uneventful, but our conversations with the Uranese were interesting. 
especially those about the old times. The kids were scared of us at first, especially Sarah, as drenched in tracer blood as she was, but quickly warmed up to us, especially to Sarah. I guess Big Mama Bear is becoming more real by the day. Our camp was somewhere near the clearing from four days ago, but we couldn't quite find it. Not that it's a big problem. Setting up shop was especially nice today because of the kids. <laughs> they were quite lively, collecting firewood and berries and whatnot. And they don't complain or slow us down in any way. I think we'll be home tomorrow, and our new friends are looking forward to it. Day 38. We're not home just yet. The ford has become unpassable for the kids, and the weather is worsening. We expect rain by tomorrow evening, maybe earlier. Then the ford will be completely uncrossable. I've heard the tire calms at night, so we are waiting and hoping. Attempting a night crossing sounds like a bad idea, but maybe it isn't. Day 38, night. We just crossed the tire. I think it's around midnight, but I'll find out. The techs will probably yell at us for having used the flashlights, but whatever. I'll try to catch some sleep before morning. We still have a few hours to hike. Day 39. The hike back to New Blester went off without a hitch. In Old Blester, we even met a foraging group on the return, so we linked up with them and introduced the new citizens. The council was happy to see the newcomers saying they'll take them off our hands. Well, I'm no HR guy either, so better this way. They were a bit disappointed in our meager loot, but, but we made infantry up there, and the techs insist on a large-scale expedition once the tire bridge is finished. They're especially interested in the generators and radio equipment, but by what I heard, they want to disassemble the whole facility. I visited Dave again, told him about my trip, he didn't believe me at first. I don't think he does even now. But he's doing well. He can walk without a cane, but still limps. The medics expect that to heal out completely within the week. So, all's well that ends well. Tomorrow's my free day. Well earned after our hike, I want to add. I don't know what I'll do yet, but Marvin told me about a calm part of the tyre. Good for swimming or lazing around in the water. It's... Technically outside city bounds, but only five minutes away. So I think I'll be fine if I go. Day 40. I found Marv's spot. It's a sort of bay in a ditch, a bit to the west of the proposed North Gates location. It wasn't hard to find, and I wasn't alone there. It seems this place has established itself as a city beach already. Even though fuller than anticipated, it was nice. Otherwise, an uneventful day. I ate dinner with Dave and told him about the place. He already knew. Being part of the scouts, apparently, also means that you'll be eternally out of the loop. Day 41. Today our group was assigned to fence duty again. But I have to say, we are making very fast progress. I'd say we already have a third of the perimeter fenced, and both the south and east gate are already standing. With a fancy guard tower each. Corbin didn't join us for the whole day. He was off with the council and other scout leaders discussing an expedition to Blaster's secondary mining camp. It's to the south of here, 
across a fairly big plane. The journey should take two days and a bit of change each way, and who knows how long to take stock of all the goodies down there. So, the first trip is planned to last a week, just taking inventory and all. Depending on the results, proper scavenging runs would follow. The part that was being discussed was which groups would take part in the expedition and how the camp was to be searched, and for what we were to look. The council is very busy at the moment, so we didn't expect a decision today. But tomorrow we are to stand by for possible deployment. Corbin's way of saying, let's skip work tomorrow. Day 42 We were standing by at the barracks slash armory today, and were shooting the shit together. Well, not shooting anything. We do have to conserve ammo, after all. Speaking of which, the council is also thinking about sending scavengers back to Cayman to get more ammo, as well as establishing a weapons workgroup tasked with constructing crossbows and the likes to avoid material dependency. Day 43 Apparently, Corbin got called before the council late yesterday evening and assigned to the recon mission into the secondary camp. Another scout group, led by some Peter I've never met before, will be our backup. And so, well, that's that. Oh, and two other groups will head for Cayman the day after tomorrow. The council seems to have been in a decisive mood yesterday. We were stocking up on rations today, coordinated with the other group, of course, and set out to get ourselves material specialists for the trip. Tom will be coming along again, given his uh, travel expertise, as well as a Chelsea and Morton representing the techies and workshops each. With our fellowship assembled, we will begin our journey tomorrow. Day 44 Today was another easy day. Yeah, we walked all through it, but whatever. The terrain was light except for the first two hours or so. Well, a forest isn't what I'd call heavy terrain, but after that, it was only flat meadows. Some small groups of trees here and there, the odd brook every kilometre or so. It was a relaxing journey, too. The weather was sunny and calm, not scaldingly hot, ideal for marching. Peter's guys were all right, and our specialist detachment was in a good mood, and also no hindrance in terms of speed. Our camp tonight is on one of these mini forests, and given our numbers, night watch shifts won't be too long. Day 45 Another easy day on the meadows. Nothing of note happened today, and in my mind, it already begins to fall together with yesterday. We even camped in a similar mini-forest as yesterday. Day 46 We arrived at the secondary mining camp in the late morning. Its structures seemed similar to new blasters, of course discounting our own modifications. I think they may actually be the same construction patterns. It would make sense, at least. The site as a whole is maybe one-third of New Blaster in size, but it has only one less blast furnace. Many buildings are damaged well beyond what exposure and time alone would do to them. Well, the looks of it, I'd say storm damage, and the others agree. But given the geography, that is just a tad unlikely. And a storm strong enough to knock down the chimneys of two blast furnaces would leave some traces in Old Blaster too or at least in the immediate surroundings. But no, everything looks nice. 
We explored the whole site over the course of the day, with Peter's group forming a vanguard, clearing buildings ahead of time in case of lurking chases or any other predators. I was afraid as we may be of the old leather hides, a bear would definitely be a problem too. We and the specialists comb through the buildings cleared by Peter's guys, writing up anything interesting. In the early evening, we may camp in the main shelter. Tom, Chelsea and Morden are currently discussing what parts they want to inspect more closely tomorrow, and what we could reasonably take with us now, on a small-scale supply run, and on a proper dismantling expedition, respectively. Knowing nothing of these worlds of technology, we lowly peasants are currently doing something much more useful. Making dinner. One of Peter's guys is originally from an era way down south, so we insisted on making a hot pot, now that we have time to do so. And it was a good bit of work, but oof, it already smells delicious. Day 47 Yesterday's sightseeing list was quickly checked out, and Morton was especially happy. We took a closer look at the on-site forge, and in his words, we could rip that thing and all its bits out and double our output back home. I don't know why, but I have the vague feeling a larger expedition is coming up in the not-too-distant future. We were on the move again around noon, back through the meadows again, and naturally we may camp in one of the mini forests. I want to say it's the same as on the first journey, but well, I don't know for sure. Like the good old boys and girls we are, we set up our radio in time for the transmission window, like every day. But this time we actually caught something. The Cayman party had apparently uncovered some kind of hint that a small hamlet, roughly east of our position, originally had a large stable with a lot of horses. Unlikely as their continual survival may be, one of our two scout groups was to split off and search for them. And like the experts we are, we decided with a match of rock-paper-scissors. Best of three, like any sane adult would do. We lost. So we are going. Peter's going to escort the specialists, and what little loot we took home, and in turn, we keep the radio. Apparently we'll get reinforced on site by an ex-horse trainer named Michelle, originally part of a second Cayman group, who is now looping back on us. We said our goodbyes in the morning and headed east as we ordered and reached the woods by maybe eleven o'clock. A nice change of pace, considering our last few days. It also makes you realise how out of cover you are in just grass. Oh, eerie. Well, supposedly we'll hit a creek some day tomorrow. If it has a service road alongside it, the hamlet is south. If not, north. Easy enough. Day 49. We reached the Promised Creek early on, without a service road, and so north we followed it. And there it was. Judging by the size of the houses, or mansions really, and the size of the overall estates. I guess this was some woodlands escape for the rich way back when. It seemed untouched at least. Our first loot run did not yield any horses, but some knick-knacks and rations. Given that Michelle will probably arrive tomorrow evening, we should try to find the horses sometime tomorrow. If they're still around, that is. Day 50 We spotted four horses today. They looked okay, I guess. 
Long legs, long face, sad expression, a tail. That's what they're supposed to look like, right? Michelle linked up with us in the early evening, but didn't get a good look at the animals, so we have to wait until tomorrow. Day 51. Good news. Michelle made contact with the pack, herd, whatever, and she thinks they can be tamed again. And they're in good health, too. She said to give her a day or two to get them accustomed to humans again. So, we'll plunder tomorrow, and maybe the day after that, too. Day 52. Going through a rich guy's house, taking what you want. (laughs) I think every kid has thought about that at least once. And now we're living the dream, with little to show for it. Turns out, except for money and pomp, there's not much in there. No tools, no foods that held until now. Just art and cars that are all more than you'd ever want to see. Well, that's not entirely true. There are at least some usable things, mainly gardening tools and kitchen appliances, as well as some bed frames robust enough to, well, to still exist. While we can only carry a fraction of all that ourselves, we used our time to create a concentrated stockpile so later parties can come and get a move on more quickly. Oh, and fancy wines. Yeah, we found a ton of those. General Scout, as well as our own policy, is no alcohol outside home. So we didn't drink any, but we stuffed our pockets as good as we could and brought the rest to the stockpile. Day 53 Today we continued our stockpiling of yesterday, and even found a wagon. Like, old-style horse-drawn wagon. (laughs) I guess we found the house of the owner of the horses. It was damaged, but we managed a makeshift repair, and since we returned via the service road and the 34 anyway... We'll be able to carry much of the stockpile ourselves. And with all that wine, I smell a festival coming up. Michelle also had good things to say today. The horses, while alone for more than a decade, are not really feral. We can take them with us tomorrow, and even trust them with the wagon. So everything works out perfectly. Day 54 Man, I want a banjo right now. We were on the road the whole day. Two horses on the wagon, two loaded up like donkeys, us walking along. I don't know for sure, but but I'd say we're carrying the better part of a ton in wine, silver, and whatever around now. And at that normal walking speed. The camp was unusual today, with the wagon making for a proper table, and the horses around us and all that. (laughs) Yeah, as I said, I want a banjo, or at least banjo music. Day 55. We reached Old Blaster today, and while we could easily push on home, we stayed and searched the southern edge of town. No looting parties have gone there yet, so we expected good finds. Rightly so, too. But now I really fear that the wagon will just break under the weight. Whatever. Only maybe two hours to go tomorrow. Day 56. Our return was glorious. The wine alone may have improved the mood in town by a good bit, but the horses? We won't get any closer to a truck than this. Peter's group unsurprisingly returned almost a week ago, delivering the infantry they'd made, and now we bring in what carrying capacity we were missing. All pieces for a big recovery of the secondary camp tools were now in place. Day 57. 
given our extended absence and great success, we were given off, not only today, but also tomorrow. I went to the beach again, where I met Dave. He's become our resident fisherman, constructing nets a bit down from the bathing spot. While his leg may be healed fully now, he's still not too eager to go out into the woods again. So he joined the town guard, but since they don't do much on most days, a fisherman it is. Oh, and apparently we now have a school too. Actually, that's not really surprising. We have a lot of kids in town. While it may be called a school, I doubt they'll learn literature or history there. Handcrafting and general survival would be more useful subjects. Day 57 I visited said school today. From what I've been told there, the kids have to come every day. But don't get homework, or do anything that screams school to me. It's more like a trainee program. Yeah, they're taught writing and basic math and all that, but... But mostly the teacher, Karen, just grabs someone from any job she can get her hands on and they do a show and tell. Seems like a good system to me. And since that system is based around other people being able to spare time, it's highly flexible. Karen was delighted when I came by and offered to do a Navigation 101, even though today was supposed to be reading writing practice. Since the area around us is quite easy to navigate, just by memory, we couldn't do any actual navigating, but I taught them the tips and tricks that I myself found out by just doing it for a while. And while I wouldn't trust them out there, even without considering them possibly being eaten by whatever, I think they learned something today. Day 58 I thought things were going too well lately. In the wee hours of the morning, the returning second Kaiman group reported spotting a thrasher on the 34 behind them. I don't think it saw them, but it was there all right. So today all scouts and town guards available, as well as some construction guys, were assembled and briefed on our friendly new neighbour. The plan is to set up a defensive line in the woods before Old Blester. The Kaiman party is to observe the thing until we're finished, and then lure it here. If all goes well, we will have slain our potential downfall. And if not, well... We won't have time for regret. Preparations were done in a hurry, and we set out by early evening. The main force, including us, is camping on the edges of Old Blester, but a small survey party, including some of the builders, are currently looking for some good trees to use. Day 59 The surveyors found a good patch of sturdy, tall trees, maybe 200 metres south of the 34. The main force arrived sometime in the morning, and we began to set up shooting galleries and platforms. The construction may take a while, but considering the height in which we need to build, I think we're making good progress. And our armament is nothing to scoff at. A rifle or shotgun for everyone, some improvised incendiary grenades, and some crazy genius managed to concoct some acid in a resistant pot that we'll try to dump on the fucker. And somehow, from somewhere... We even managed to produce a machine gun. A big one. According to Marv, it's an M1919. The reason why nearly nobody knew we had that is its ridiculous ammo consumption, which would be tempting but wasteful against anything except a thrasher. The observers reportedly dumped their cargo 
and maintain their distance. The thrasher is just lumbering about, not moving significantly, and it seems to be missing one of its flails. Well, five can still do enough damage. Day 60 The defensive works are done, and we'll engage the thrasher first thing in the morning. The observers are already informed. We've set up six walkways and five regular firing platforms, as well as a big one for the 1919, and one a bit ahead for the acid. The acid one is deliberately obvious and exposed, so that the observers will easily find it and run beneath it. And once the thrasher follows them below it, Jeff, now only called the acid man, will trigger the release from further up the tree. I expect to sleep bad tonight, but I thought so the previous nights too, and I was under like a rock. Whatever. The logistic guys even cleared some coffee for us to be on high alert tomorrow morning. Apparently, it'll be super effective, considering our decade-long withdrawal. <laughs> Let's see about that. Day 61 The coffee kicks hard. Oh, super hard, I mean. If all went to plan, the observers shot the thrasher a few minutes ago and are dragging it here. Since it can barely make more than walking pace, we'll expect its arrival in two and a half hours, give or take. But still, we are all up in our crow's nests already, armed to the teeth and spoiling for a fight. I at least can clear my mind by writing this, but the others are tense, anxious. In a good way, though, I think. Writing this gives me some sense of closure, to be honest. Not that I plan on dying, but it is well in the range of possibility. And if we come out of this alive, we'll be heroes. We are heroes. The observers came running in the forenoon, sweaty and panting, but not completely KO. A quick shadow report told us they'd fired all they had into the thrasher, suspecting one or two good hits. The thrasher didn't give us enough time to talk longer. At first we only heard it push through the brush. And then it emerged. Large like an elephant, covered in brown armour, lazily throwing about its five remaining flails. As planned, we had held fire until the observers could lure it under the acid platform. For a moment, we could only hear the slight flush of the reddish-brown concoction, hitting the shell of the beast. Then came the shrieks. I'd never heard a thrasher before, and only seen one through field glasses, so I expected a bellow or roar. But the thrasher's scream sounded like a mix between a mountain lion and shearing steel. Before we could even see what our opening act achieved, the machine gun went off, and with its rhythm of destruction in our ears, we took our shots. While the thrasher is usually moving slowly, when you get their blood pumping, they get fast. It closed the distance from the acid platform to beneath the 1919 in maybe four seconds, nearly trampling the observers who went running again. With a thrasher this close, it began whipping the trees with its flails. Luckily, it couldn't reach the platforms, but, but given enough time, oh, it would soar through the whole tree. Throwing itself around as it did and shooting up splinters wherever it reached the thrasher didn't make it easy on us. I'd say maybe every twenty shots one made it into the weak point of its armour, 
and even then we needed to shoot off two flails and her leg for it to finally stop moving. And there it lies now, below us, bleeding out. We'll wait until evening to leave the safety of the trees, but we radioed town already, informing them of our victory. We expected an all-or-nothing situation, and we got one. Not one life lost today, but plenty of wounded due to the wooden shrapnel. In anticipation of such a situation, we brought three medics with us who are now treating the severely wounded. I myself got hit too, but only slightly, mostly on my forearms and hands. And now we rest in our newly won safety, with no desire to head home. Personally, I couldn't even be bothered to climb down this tree today. Day 62 Our return to New Blester was accompanied by cheers. The whole day was one big festival. Well, taking it down a thresher does warrant that. The more seriously wounded had to stay in the infirmary for an unfortunately long part of the day. I myself needed only to stay for maybe an hour to get all the splinters out of me and disinfected and all that. And that already felt like years. Those poor guys. Well, we involved them best we could, so only half a bummer. Day 63. Yesterday's euphoria hasn't faded yet. I think the city will stay in celebratory mood for at least the rest of the week. But today, work had to be resumed. Well, for... Everyone except the scouts. All scouts have been given today and tomorrow off. Seeing as we aren't particularly low on any supplies, and the border fence will be closed up either tomorrow or the day after that. Day 64. Another good day. In the afternoon I went to the last gap in the fence to chat a bit with the work crews and maybe help a bit, but turns out by the time I visited in the early evening, they were just finishing up the last segment. I wouldn't use the word fortified, no, but we are indeed somewhat safe from smaller chaser attacks. But neither construction nor city guard is satisfied with only one line of defence, so they will, once all other construction projects are done, dig out a trench all around the fence and maybe put some spikes at the inner edge to boot. Once this is done and both trench and fence remain well maintained, we are indeed safe from chasers. Well, except at the gates, of course. Day 65 Well, our holiday officially ended today. The next few days will be easy going as well. Reason being that the weapons work group, tasked to develop not rifles, has produced not one but three prototypes for a standard-issue crossbow. And since the Corbin squad has spent the better part of the last month on its legs, we were tasked to test the prototypes and recommend one for production which means today was spent at our shooting range, testing the ballistics of the new weapons. At first I thought, oh, what could be so different about crossbows to warrant three variants? But they went above and beyond. Only the simple prototype was what I call a crossbow, and that one was built mainly to test the bolts of all three prototypes. The other two were more rifle style, with both of them having an integrated magazine. The more basic one has a tension lever, basically ripped off a lever-action rifle, and the more complex one is actually self-loading once you cock back a spring. Just based on both the ballistics and, obviously, the firing rate, the self-loader would be preferable, but it's also more costly to produce. Personally, 
I don't think it's worth it. Yeah, the first of fire can help in hairy situations, but I don't think that piercing chaser skin at 220 or 240 metres tops matters that much. Also, both types include small, somewhat fragile parts, which is why we'll have to conduct a field test over the next few days. Essentially, trying to break the bows without actively trying to break them. Day 66. We packed light, provisions for two days. Corbin, Marv and Sarah kept their conventional weapons, while Kev and I get to play with the new toys. Since Kev is much more of a handyman than me, he got the self-loader. Currently, we're camped out a good distance from New Blester, and tomorrow we'll continue our hike, swinging south and keeping to more rough terrain wherever possible. We deliberately dropped or dragged the bows along a tree to simulate wear and tear. Yeah, they do have a few scratches now, but they work just fine. Once we find a body of water muddy enough, we'll dunk them in there too. Apparently, Peaks Group, as well as most of the workshop and ironworks people, took the horses and set out for the secondary mining camp to retrieve what they can. Winter's not that far off, and that way they can make good use of the indoors time. Day 67 Seeing as how we smash and scrape through the woods, making noise out of the wazoo, it was quite surprising when we spotted an elk a few hundred metres ahead. Either he judged us to be harmless over that much distance, or he was positively deaf. Given us how he was a good way outside our 200 metre effective range, we snuck up on him, Kevin me in the first row. This time we were quiet, so he stayed where he was. Once there I whispered to Kev that since both our bows had gone through quite the abuse, we had to do a synchronised test shot to see if they still went good and straight. Well, that we could just shoot the body afterward didn't cross my mind at the time. So we took aim he started a whispered countdown. Apparently, we're really good at sinking. The twock of the firing bolt sounded like just one, and both of them hit good. Neither bow had lost its accuracy or power, even after a mud bath not even an hour earlier. The elk survived the initial hits. Not surprising, seeing as the bolts were just sharpened sticks after all, but he collapsed from either blood loss or shock after a handful of steps and was dead by the time we reached him. We skinned him and cured his meat for the rest of the afternoon. Ultimately, we made camp more or less where we'd shot him, and Sarah, having enough time to gather ingredients while the meat hung, made a stew, a really good one at that. Even though we now have enough food to stay out here for a week, we'll return tomorrow as originally planned. Day 68 we returned around lunch, delivering the elk straight to the kitchen. They were pleasantly surprised given how elk is actually quite rare at this degree of latitude. After receiving our belated lunch from the quite grateful cooks, even spite with a bit of wine as thanks, we made our way to the weapons work group. We couldn't recommend one over the other in terms of ballistics, but Kev noted that the self-tensioning mechanism of his prototype is a bit in the way for actually reloading the magazine so while we can crank out his first shots quicker than me. If we need to fire more than one magazine, I'll probably get more bolts on target. Mahmoud, the leader of the group, said that they were already aware of that problem, but couldn't figure out a way to fix it without creating even more potential fault points. 
Kevin and I left the boats of our remaining bolts at the workshop for them to inspect the damages more closely, and went out to the fields to help for a bit. Corbin said we had the day off, but seeing how the armourers got straight to work, we were fired up for some labour too. Day 69 While well, not critical by any means, our food stocks are a bit low for the winter, or so the logistics people said. The farmers think we'll make it well enough as is. I know not the arguments of even one, let alone both sides, so I won't comment on the matter. But the council does, and they rule we should head back to Kamein and get some more food. The plan is for us to set out tomorrow, search the western suburbs of Cayman, and create small local stockpiles. Once Pete's expedition to the secondary camp is concluded, Michelle and the horses will meet up with us, pack up the stockpiles and return. So far, so good. But fall is here. The air is noticeably colder than a week ago, and the first leaves are turning red. Our normal jackets won't cut it out there anymore, so we had to suit up with long coats. Provisions are also prepared already, so we can leave first thing tomorrow. Day 70 Today's trek was, dare I say, nostalgic. The way to Old Blester is nothing to talk about, really. But the 34, we passed the Thrasher fortifications and its rotting body. The smell wasn't as bad as I'd expected. Beyond that lies the road that brought us here. Damn, nearly two months ago. Others have walked here since then, but, but for me, it's the first time since Dave's and mine last stand up in that tree. Our progress is good and we'll reach Cayman tomorrow evening. Day 71 While we didn't have enough time to effectively search today, we arrived early enough to look for a decent base, and we found one. A two-story house that may have been lime green once, but now is the colour of rotting leaves. Its lower floor is pretty exposed to the elements, but the only stairs up are easy to fortify and rig with alarms, so... We won't even need night watches. The plan's to search the streets one by one and in pairs to cover both sides. What we find will stock up in open garages or bus stops, if they still stand. While the length of our expedition largely depends on how fast Pete can get his thing done, we are expecting to stay around a week. Enough time to clear the neighbourhood and maybe more. Day 72 to be entirely honest, I have no idea when we woke up today. But now it's definitely full. The fog was ever-present, only lightening in the afternoon, but never really dissolving. Even though I knew that we're the only ones out here, it was quite uncomfortable to see a figure through the fog. Long coat and rifle in hand brings back bad memories. Our haul was fairly good. We made two stockpiles, one in the bottom floor of our temporary home and one in the overturned dumpster. But we were soaking wet by the time we went back home to cook and sleep. It never rained today, but the fog is just that thick. Day 73. Another foggy day out fishing for cans. Another good haul. Today we cleared our home street, making another pile in what was once a living room in the process. We found some other goodies. Kitchen utensils mainly, but we'll have to see if we have the capacity to take them with us 
It'd be nice to have them, but, well, food goes first. Day 74 The fog cleared out today. The morning shaped out to be largely the same as the last two days, but sometime in the afternoon the fog broke and we saw the sky again, and a lot of leaves have turned red in the time we didn't really see them. A good bunch have already fallen, too. Around the time of the sunset, we climbed the roof of one of the bigger houses. We intended to look around the neighbourhood, see if we could see anything interesting or out of the order. But once we got up there, we were mesmerised by the sun. It fit perfectly between the big three, looking almost like a postcard. No, better than a postcard. The mood was weird during dinner. I mean, we all know what we are, obviously, but you don't think about it that much. It's too much to do, but well, today it's once again sunken in that we are the remnants. We are what little is left, and that the world is now empty. Day 75 The mood of yesterday evening was still very much there today, and the fog not breaking until the evening didn't help that. At least we made another good haul. Three stockpiles and her whole street cleared. Unfortunately, we're now at the point where our coats do not dry, ever. While I can't provide some shelter, the fog does come in, and without the sun we just stay wet and clammy. Maybe just damp if we make a bigger fire to cook. And I don't think that we'll change until we return to New Blessed. Day 76 our yield today was rather mediocre, but we caught something on the radio. Pete's group had returned from a successful expedition, and Michelle will set out for us tomorrow. The horses are tired from lugging around whatever they got from down south, so she'll go easy on them and probably arrive the day after tomorrow. Day 77 We're in this fog for too long. With how monotonous our work is, diary is the only real way to discern one day from the next. Michelle did not arrive, but we used most of our time to pull together our smaller piles. We don't want to stay here any longer than we have to. Day 78 Michelle arrived at, I guess it would be eleven o'clock-ish. We'd already gathered all our findings in three big piles along the road, so loading up didn't take more than about an hour and a half. We didn't want to leave anything behind, so we'll bring home some more silverware. Some may actually be silver, and more importantly, some nails. We found a good lot of them in one garage. The return was also very uneventful. The horses had no problem pulling the wagons at marching speed. Since we walk on the road, we make good speed. I think I heard a chaser scream in the fog at one point, and we were all on edge for a while after that. But I might have imagined it, and even if I didn't, the fog dampened sound and smell to such a degree they'd miss us even if we were sat in the ditches beside them. We camped in the very same cave we'd made camp in during our initial journey to New Blester. But unlike then, we're confident we'll reach the city tomorrow evening, although we'll very likely miss dinner. Day 79 well, it looks like we have to stay for just a little bit longer. 
The rain started sometime in the night and will most likely not stop for a day or two. While a fall rainstorm is nothing we aren't ready for, its timing is almost insultingly bad. We needed maybe fifteen hours of decent weather to reach home, but nope, the rain has to come now. Of course, we could march on, but by the time we'd reach home, we'd definitely be completely soaked and cold. The horses may survive if they got lucky, but we'd die of hypothermia or pneumonia almost guaranteed. And so we stay in this cave. Well, at least the cave mouth is shaped in a way that keeps the water out. Well, we won't die of starvation or thirst, that much is clear, but we can do nothing but wait, which is not that much better when you feel like an old washing rag. We attempted to at least do something useful and made an inventory of our hall, and we double-checked and triple-checked. By our calculations, our hall alone could feed all of New Blester for nine days, with a bit of spare change. Not bad at all. The cutlery, while well, nice to have, won't really make that big of a difference, but the nails will earn us a big favour from the workshop. Luckily, one of the trinkets we found during our week is a set of poker cards, so we had something to fill the time. Day 80 Rain Rain and more rain today, too. I think it's even gotten more intense. Poker stops being any fun after that many rounds, so we attempted to create our own game. We had some ideas and made plenty of test runs, but that didn't amount to anything. It took up two hours, though. At some point, Sarah began to sing again. Well, hum at first. It seemed nearly mystical, with the woods and the fog and the rain. When I attempted to match her humming, she told me I have no feeling for rhythm and began to sing. Corbin asked what the song was, and if she'd teach us some of her mountain murmurs. Well, apparently that's the name of these kinds of Kazanian songs, if you translate it. Didn't know that. But she agreed, and so we sang. Corbin understandably didn't, although Sarah insisted that for mountain murmurs, gruffer and throatier is better. At some point we were able to at least make similar sounds to her singing, and that's how we passed the time until we made dinner. Day 81 I'd already mentally prepared myself for another day of singing and butchering the rules of poker, when the rain let up. Of course, we didn't immediately run out just for us to be caught in a second surge of rain, but when the weather held for a good while, we suited up and left. Brown was a literal swamp beside the road, and even the tarmac felt slick and soft. The air was heavy and wet, and most trees washed free of leaves. Well, what little of the trees had leaves to begin with. And the smell. Oh, the smells during and after rainfalls are distinctly different, and it was a welcome change of scenery. We passed the Thrasher corpse in the early evening. It was sunken halfway into the soft ground. If the snow comes in a week or less, it may even become mummified. Our shooting galleries and platforms were noticeably damaged by the rain, some even washed down from their tree. Unsurprising, considering they were a rush job, only meant to last a few days. Still, it's an eerie sight. We considered making camp in Old Blester, continuing tomorrow, but we all wanted home. Even the horses, I think. 
so we forced ourselves to march on through the early nights. On arrival, we were immediately relieved of our cargo and even got to enjoy the privilege of a heated bath. Now our clothes are hanging and drying, and our dinner is being prepared. Usually, if you miss dinner, you'll only get a cold snack instead of a full meal, but considering our circumstances, the cooks are making an exception. The elk we delivered before setting out probably helped too. Day 82 Today we helped the logistics guys with stowing our haul. Not much work, but we were stuck in the fog and rain for long enough. A slow day is well earned, I'd say. The secondary camp expedition came back a while ago, but their loot is only laying around the warehouses as of now. We'll have enough time to assemble it over the winter. For now, gathering firewood and herbs is more of a priority. Day 83 As expected, we were out and about gathering herbs all day. The times of conventional medicine are long over, but we know how to make do. I guess conventional medicine nowadays is herbs and the like, so what to call the old one then? Industrial medicine? Well, it doesn't really matter. This winter will be the first one with every single vaccination finally run out. Except for the lifelong ones, of course. The medics are not looking forward to this. But the one good thing with most of humanity gone is that sicknesses appear noticeably less, especially the more contagious ones. Day 84 Today was another day of herb gathering, but we've received potentially good news. Cecily, a woman from the workshop, is pregnant and expecting any day now. The medics are a bit worried about the birth itself, but most of New Blister is now aware of the imminent birth and are looking forward to it. I think I've heard about Cecily before today, but I must have forgotten. Well, it's a nice surprise at least. Odd how such a natural thing can lift the spirits of the whole town a bit. Day 85 Sometimes around noon, the first snow of the year fell. So over the course of the day, every work group held an assembly to discuss the new rules regarding the winter. The scouts held their assembly in the early evening. The essential changes for us are we're not to stray farther than five hours' worth of travel from town. We're not to stay out overnight, and we are to return at once should the weather change significantly. Our trip to Cayman was one of the last excursions that didn't follow these rules. But now it's official. No long-range sorties. Day 86. It snowed some more overnight. Overall snow cover is thin, but has little to no holes. We're beginning to put up sheets between houses to keep at least the essential walkways free of snow. Should this winter be as harsh as the last one, the town will become one giant igloo. Most of the available people were constructing these roofs today but tomorrow we'll go out for more wood. The workshop's blast furnaces make for unexpectedly good charcoal kilns, and they're always hungry for more. Day 87 We were out collecting wood again today. Nothing noteworthy happened except an increase in clouds in the afternoon, forcing us back to town an hour or so earlier than planned. Day 88 Today we felled what were probably the last trees of the year. Logistics estimate our total wood reserve at around 60 tons. 
Way more than we expect to need, but let's play this safe. And even if we grossly overestimated our consumption, it's not like the wood will go bad over the next summer or two. Day 89. City Council have planned to give the Scouts a general day off sometime soon. Today's heavy snowfall set the date. The canvas roofs over our roads and walkways hold for the most part, but we all need to support them with beams once the snow grows too heavy. Or at least we won't have to shovel it anywhere except the entrances. Day 90. With our time limit in effect and a general curfew expected sometime soon, the scouts are now doing various odd jobs here and there. Some groups are still out and about, trying to add that little bit to the medic stores, but most of us are now attached to construction or the workshops. The Corbin squad and a few others were assigned to deal with the secondary camp's industry. Today we didn't have much in terms of actual progress. We mostly picked out the parts we needed first and hauled them over from the dump to the actual workshops. We'll try to erect one more blast furnace before the big snow masses. Most of the work is indoors anyway, but the last step is breaking open the factory building's roof and installing the funnel. It's a race against time, albeit not a particularly urgent one. Day 91 The furnace's combustion chamber is mostly done now, and the fuel feeders are proceeding nicely. The frameworks for the lower chamber are almost assembled, but need to be set atop the combustion chamber once it's done. Luckily, the workshop people don't need the crane for just producing charcoal, so we don't block each other too much. Day 92 Well, I doubt we'll finish the furnace this year. We now have a near-constant snowfall, but it's very light. Nowhere near as intense as three days back. A universal curfew goes in effect this evening, so all scouts will be at home doing this and that, starting tomorrow. And about the furnace. We finished the combustion chamber shortly after lunch and installed the frame over the afternoon. The fuel feeders are also done and the materials for the lower chamber are all in the building. Day 93. Great news. Cecily gave birth without major complications. The child's healthy, and the medics are confident that both Cecily and little Lucas will be fine. Our work progress is nicely as well. The lower chamber is finished and ready to be planted on the combustion chamber. But we, as in the Corbin squad, will not be the ones to do it. With all the scouts and farmers indoors, we don't have enough jobs to go around, so the city council has established a roster to raise morale and decrease fatigue and therefore the risk of illness. Day 94. My day was spent lazing about in the canteen. Most people hang around there when they don't have anything to do, and with the kitchen slowly working through all our supplies, curing and preserving them, it's nice and warm there. I met Dave again. We haven't seen each other for a while now. He's doing well, working for construction, maintaining the walkway roofs. Doesn't have that much to tell stories about, but we swap what little we had for my longer, but not that much more thrilling catalogue of tales. We spent the rest of the day talking to whoever came to sit with us, and a fair number of card games. Somebody had brought a chessboard, but I wasn't in the mood. Day 95. With another group filling our spot in the furnace construction, we were assigned to the wood department. Well, 
wood of the workshop. The woodworking shop? Well, whatever. Marmud and his crossbow crew welcomed us in, and we were quickly educated on how to carve bolts out of planks. So we did that for the day, while we watched the grand wizards of the wood build the actual weapons. I didn't know working on wood can involve so many different things and tools. But the finished things look, well, great. Nothing compared to the almost patchwork prototypes we tested a month ago. Day 96 The morning was spent carving even more crossbow bolts, but at lunch Adam asked if we'd be willing to trade in our guns for crossbows come spring, and if yes, if we'd also be willing to work out a semi-professional training guide or procedure for handling the bows with them. We agreed, so the afternoon was spent brainstorming what we'd need to teach about how to do it. How to shoot straight would obviously be the first thing in training, but what else? We settled on general maintenance, how to swap the most fragile parts, aka magazines or strings, and general tactics for using the bows. The shooting straight part will probably be the one the most people struggle with, but teaching it is a straightforward thing, no pun intended. Maintenance and module swaps, while a bit more finicky, are still pretty easy to teach. But what about the tactics? Well... Marmot went around asking scouts if they'd be willing to spare us some time tomorrow during lunch break and wargame the crossbows with us. Some agreed, some politely declined. Day 97 Before the lunch break, we went about creating an indoor shooting range to allow for training over the winter. We only had space for one single lane, but that's enough. Mahmoud went to the council to inform them of our program and, once concluded, request scout groups for retraining. While not all of them would be willing to give up their guns, they should at least be able to use the bows. During and after lunch, we sat together with about a dozen other scouts and even some guys from the city guard, coming up and solving all kinds of situations around the crossbows. Long story short, we'll switch from the double pair plus an observer we had previously to a triplet and a backup plus observer. In this new formation, everyone except the backup and maybe the observer will be equipped with crossbows. The triplet will do the actual firing if possible, with the backup only shooting when absolutely necessary. This way will reduce our gunpowder-based ammunition consumption to nearly zero. Hopefully. Day 98 We fiddle around with our crossbows today trying to find the most efficient way to replace magazines and strings and to determine the needed tools. The construction was kept simple from the beginning, so it's not that complicated, but switching the magazine takes quite some time. Adam's toying with the idea of giving every group an additional bow, just in case the magazine of one breaks or jams in a tight spot. Day 99 we wrote down the maintenance and swap procedures today and spent the rest of the day with marksman exercises. Turns out, Sarah is a really bad shot with the bows, even though with a gun she far outmatches all of us. Well, that settles who will become the backup in our formation, at least. Day 100 Today we put our proposed tactics into writing and did an accelerated practice round of training. Of course, we knew everything the workshop crew had taught us. We were the ones to write it, after all, but they need to be able to pass down this knowledge. 
while none of them is the archetypal teacher, I think they can handle it. We inform the council that they be ready for the first group. The workshop was promised its first students the day after tomorrow, and we should continue making bolts until then. Day 101 As instructed, we made bolts again today. A dull work that makes for an overall dull day. Day 102 with a crossbow workshop taking its first students, we were reassigned back to the furnace construction. They were nearly finished with the indoors work, with the furnace itself being fully constructed and only the funnel missing. So we started to assemble the funnel nearby, as well as the scaffolding needed to crown our creation. Some of the logistics guys had tried themselves at weather forecasting for a while now, achieving some degree of accuracy. If they give us an all-clear for multiple days once the funnel's done, we might finish the project before spring. Day 103 The funnel is finished, as well as the ramp we'll use to slide it up into position when the times come. The rest of the scaffolding will be done tomorrow, the day after that at the latest. We couldn't start with tearing off the roof for fear of strong snowfall, but we made preparations, marking where to cut and so on. Day 104 The scaffolding stands, the funnel is finished, the furnace is ready. We now await the all-clear of the weather frogs. Until then, all scouts involved in the furnace construction have the days off, officially, but we'll help where we can reassembling all the other machines we brought back from the secondary camp. Day 105 As promised, we help with reassembly, but... This work was done quickly, so we finished early evening and will therefore have nothing to do tomorrow. Day 106 Today was even slower than expected. I visited the crossbow workshop. Their training is coming along well, but I didn't hang around for long. I thought about visiting the school, but I don't think I have the motivation to deal with the little kids right now. Curfew only counts for actually leaving the city, so I made a little stroll outside. It was cold, believe it or not. The snowfall is light but constant. The surrounding area is completely snowed in. The town itself is buried well, but the walkway roofs are still holding up. The houses are recognisable, but I struggle to discern the actual ground and the snowed-in fabric roofs. Day 107 the weather frogs say that starting tomorrow we'll have a window of three days, followed by light snow again. So we spent today shoveling free the roof above the furnace. Yep, by tomorrow morning we'll have to do it again, but every minute we save is helpful. Finally, there's something to do again. So there we go. We are back with the Wanderer's Diary. Oh my god, it has been way too long, hasn't it? So um, I asked you all earlier on if you uh, like this format, because I used to do this all the time. If I did a serial that had um, multi-parts and 
there was a bit of a gap between, I'd uh, cobble them all together into one video. So here we have parts one to five. Uh, only four or five were new, so you may have heard one, two, and three before. But it's been a while, hasn't it? So please, let me know if you like um, how I'm doing it. If it's like this, it's better for you. And I'll continue. Nah, it's no problem for me, alright? <laughs> and of course, I should mention that this is as far as the author has got. Hasn't written anything beyond this, so if you are enjoying this series as much as I am reading it for you, please let him know that you want more. Okay? Got that, yeah? Alright, my dear friends. Well, we're still inside, aren't we? But this might be all over soon. With any luck. But you make sure you stay safe. Until next time, very, very sweet dreams, and bye-bye.